I want you to be seated. I'm going to jump right in this, if that's okay. I love, 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 love Pastor Jamie, Pastor Dustin, Pastor Steve, Pastor Lisa, uh, Cameron, everybody, John, my God, that was like the most anointed transition. Like, I, I want your gift to preach on me, bro. If, if you're visiting, I just want to say, and you, you, like when I mean visiting, like you're here for the first time. Number one, you made a great choice. There's a lot of places you could be on a Sunday morning at 11 o'clock and you chose to be with a, just an awesome group of people that are hungry for God. But here's, here, here's the thing that I, I recognize is that something can happen in the presence of God in a moment that can undo, follow me, 15 years of what it took the devil to connive in your life. One moment in an encounter with God and, and you're going to find out I'm, I'm, I am hyper, but I'm not hype. Like, I get very energetic, and I was energetic before I got saved on a college campus. My God, I was out there, out there. But I had an encounter with God, and it, it, and it undid, undid, undid. <laughs> I did, like, flunk English in high school. No, it, it, it undid close to two decades of just heartache and one encounter. And so that's why, that's why I'm here. If you got a Bible, y'all are so awesome. If you, if you got a Bible, if you go to 1 Samuel chapter 30, 1 Samuel chapter 30, I've got a wife, Krista, which is, she's been here many times. She may even be watching. She loves you guys. She sends her love. We were together uh, last weekend doing a conference, and we'll be together. And so this just happened to be a weekend that she was kind of just taking some time just to rest and stuff. But she sends her love. I got Mark with me right now. And Mark is a spiritual son. He directs campus ministry at my alma mater where I got saved, University of Pacific. He and his wife are very dear to Krista and I. And so here we go. First Samuel chapter 30. It says, now it happened when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag, attacked Ziglag, burned it with fire. And they had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was burned with fire. Their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with them lifted up their voices and wept. I talked about first service. It's interesting because it was, I, I think... Uh, a kind of a remembrance, a memorial, that there was a player that used to play for the Los Angeles Lakers. Kyle Kuzma now plays on the East Coast, but he was on the team, and was a teammate of Kobe Bryant. And I remember when Kobe Bryant's helicopter went down, he was in an interview, and it always stuck out to me that Kyle Kuzma said, I cried so many tears that I was unable to cry anymore. And this is the scene that we're going to break down, that David went through a season, and his men to where they couldn't even cry anymore. I don't know if you've ever been there, you ever been through some stuff in your life where you cried and you wept to you. It's like you're unable to produce in your tear ducts tears, and this is where they're at. And so it says, and we're going to jump down now to verse 5. Now, David's two wives, you could do that back in the day, by the way. <laughs> Not recommended, right? Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now, David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him. That would be picking up rocks and throwing it at him, okay? Because the soul of all the people were grieved, every man for his sons, and his, only a couple of people got that, and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. We're going to stop right there. It's very interesting because I hear this phrase, and I want to go after this phrase, okay? The phrase is, I want to get back to normal. Now, I've heard people in church 
that follow God say that. And I have a sneaking suspicion, not all of them. Now, I get it. If getting back to normal is I don't wear a mask, I'm not doing six feet social distancing, I'm not worried about the alpha variant, I'm not worried about the Delta or Omicron. We got more variants than Loki on, come on, Disney Plus, all right? I'm tired of COVID. I'm tired of talking about jab, no jab, booster, no booster, all that kind of stuff. Businesses, I'm in California, so it's still weird. I'm in a county where, like, there's certain restaurants and establishments, you know, if you're not vaccinated, you can't go in. I, if getting back to normal is not dealing with that, then I'm with you. But I have, I have a feeling that when some people are saying getting back to normal, they're wanting to get back to the way they did church prior to March 17, 2020. And I have a feeling that that's not what God is, has for us. I believe that God has taken us out of that to a place he never wants us to go back from, right? And, and I, here's the thing. Why is what we define normal so important? Because watch this. Your definition of normal would determine the demonstration of Christianity you aim for. Because whatever you're calling normal, that's what you're aiming for. And so many people, and I think they think the church came out of like 2019, 2020, we were good, we had it rolling, we were filling up chairs, and we budgets were good and all that. But I kind of have a feeling that we, I, here's what my impression is, God was blowing off through COVID. He's blown off the dust of the Laodicean church in North America. We were fat, we were flabby, we were full of ourselves, and God said, no, I want to counsel you to buy from me eye salve so you could see what I've got for you. Now, okay, now I'm going to say it now. I could give you the light version of this talk, L-I-T-E, or I could give you like the steak filet mignon, but I, I need you to wave at me if I could really preach it to you this morning. Come on, I could take the kitty gloves off and we can get out of the kitty pool, go to the deep end, all right? I believe that God wants to allow us to see what he sees as normal. I counsel you to buy from me ISAL. God wants us to see his normal is revival, right? Our normal has been survival, and God doesn't want survival to be your norm. Now, here, 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 here's what I got a couple different thoughts. Okay, now let me go to this other thought. When I came up, I came up in a discipleship movement in my college, and we, we really spent time in discipleship, meaning that we really dove into the foundational things. I think a lot of people, this whole COVID thing has got them shaking because they never really built foundations. There aren't a lot of churches like Church 1132 where you could text something and you could get discipleship on your iPhone or come and go to classes. And so I remember we were talking first service, I read books like Strongholds of the Mind by Joyce Myers. There was a YWAM guy, Dean Sherman, talking about spiritual warfare. I, I, I feel like there's been a generation that never was discipled how to battle. And if you don't know how to spiritually fight, that means what happens is you have to normalize a victim mentality in your church because you don't know how to fight and be a warrior. So all of a sudden, everything's poor me, victim. Now, the only problem with that is the devil is never going to feel sorry for you. It's not like he's going to look like, oh man, you had a tough week. I'm going to back off this week and let you. No, 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 no. The enemy's success is based on you being stressed. Let me say it another way. The enemy's at his best when you have no rest. The enemy looks, because here's the thing. Temptations are often, the strength of a temptation isn't found so much in what is being offered. The strength of a temptation is found in the state in which it finds you. 
when David was staying back from battling and a temptation came, he's, he has his old deal with Bathsheba. Many times there are temptations that we would easily dismiss with the exception of the fact of when you don't have rest and you're stressed out, all of a sudden what seems like a simple dismissal becomes a surefire trap that you get pulled into this, this kind of like wormhole of depression or heartache or hopelessness or loneliness that has you kind of like swiping on them date apps when you know that's not where you're going to find your spouse. Okay, come on, preset, Sean, preset. <laughs> this last season, I think that many people are trying to get back to normal because here's, they made this mistake. They've treated the whole COVID, the whole, everything we went through, they're treating it as an interruption. Now watch this. If you think it's an interruption, an interruption comes, but you got to get back to your previously programmed network, Right? But we're not to treat this last season, this is, a, this is a word of the Lord, we're not to treat this last season as an interruption, but a disruption. It's a divine disruption. And let me tell you something, as I've studied revivals, all revivals happen after seasons of disruption. The greater the disruption, the greater the revival. This is, this is so key right here. Now, let me hit this because I think this is also important. In times of crisis like we've been through, the tendency is to try to find comfort. The erroneous part of it is we find comfort in zones. We go to a comfort zone. In this last season, I'm, I'm seeing in our ministry, my wife and I have talked about this, we're seeing more deliverances where people are getting set free, right? I mean really set free. I mean like, like, like oh my God, like didn't know that was in you, okay, right? I mean, and I, I feel like what happens is so many people were stuck at home, so many people were on their, their laptop, so many new vices were reinforced, so many people went through times of stress, so they turned back to old sins, old stuff that they used to do, and so the bondages picked back up. Some people kind of hope deferred, made the heart sick, and kind of like, well, man, God's not here for me, and so I'm going to go back and do this thing. And so what we've seen is that bondages have kind of accelerated in people's lives, but people have run to comfort zones when 2022 is about us running to the zone of the comforter, capital C, Holy Ghost. I prophesy to you, this is marking an era of the Holy Ghost. It's going to be, you know, we used to say this back in the hood. I grew up in the city, Oakland, California. It's like, don't bring that Kool-Aid to a gym party, okay? Like, don't bring that weak stuff. And then we, we took it to the, the flat top and we were playing ball against somebody. Let, let me tell you what, a, a program man-centered church is not going to survive. First of all, if that's all you got, you're not going to pull that person off their couch sipping a latte watching you online. You got to have something going on in the realm of encounter, Holy Ghost. You got something. Oh, come on, somebody. <laughs> there has to be something that the Holy Spirit alone can bring because we've had enough of man-centered church. I want church as a reflection of the Holy Ghost and power. Vance Havner, the great revivalist, made this statement. He says, what, what the world needs is not more sermons on file, but more saints on fire. Oh, oh, I love this kind of stuff. All right, somebody say the zone of the comforter. Coming out of this last season was tricky. I think there's some people, we're still trying to get you out of 2020, and hello, we're now in 2022, right? And what I mean by that is that they developed a mentality, and it's kind of a survival mentality. Like, what do I need to do to just make it? And, and I'm feeling like 
the skills you acquired in the last season, this is a, this is, I'm, I'm prophesying about 2022. The skills you acquired in the last season will not be friendly towards the next season. Because you can't bring a survival mentality in a time where God is reviving the church. You can't have, I'm just going to try to make it mentality in your Christian walk when God has something more for you than to just try to make it. If you're a new baby believer and you're just trying to make it, cool. If you're just going through a week where you've had a tough week, you're just trying to make it, cool. But if that's a, a big macrocosmic goal, that's sorry. Can I just say that? That's a sorry goal for a person that has a spirit of the living God living inside of them. They see to you in heavenly places. You got the blood, the name, the word, the gifts of the spirit. I'm not just trying to make it. I'm trying to get somebody else saved and make sure they make it. I want the devil to get up and hope he can make it because we got some on-fire folks at Church 1132. Some people have ran so far away in survival. I could just see them. They're up on a mountain. They're in a backpack. They got one of them camel water packs. They got beef jerky, trail mix. Come on. We need to call you back to who you were meant to be. You've gone so far away, you left who you're supposed to be. And so what is it time for? It's time to level up. It's time to shift mindsets. It's time to tap into God's bigger storyline for you, your church. And thus, this is this entire message. I'm going to talk to you about this thought of revival is my revenge. It's been a season of some losses. I don't know. Anybody felt any losses over the last two years? Come on, somebody. It's been a minute, right? But it seems like it was just yesterday that somebody was saying, we're going to be shut down for two weeks. Like, like hello. And then they told you the, the coronavirus can't survive the summer months. Like, like they, they was wrong. It must have got some sunblock 100 or whatever that is and made it through the summer. There's been a loss of jobs. There's some people have had a loss of revenue. There's been a loss battles that people have had with their health and all the mental health stuff. There's been a loss of sanity. Some people got lost in their losses. Some people have lost life. I, my wife and I, every December, we, we do a sabbatical. We did this, um, this sep- December, excuse me, and we did a year ago. A year ago, uh, we were coming back from a major conference. It was powerful, profound and so I'm getting a chance to kind of rest. And I get that call nobody wants at 3 a.m. in the morning. I get this call, and just a week earlier, it was, it was, it was tough, but it was, a, it was a decision had to be made. We transitioned my mom into senior assisted living. It was a place where she could thrive. It was a good place because we went to a lot of places like, oh, my God, I, I left weeping that, man, no way, no, no way. I got, if I got an Uber on weekends, and my mom is not going in this place. I don't know about you. And so we found a really nice place. They had activities. They were doing stuff. I get this call. Nobody wants 3 a.m. in the morning. They said, uh, your mom has collapsed, lost consciousness. Uh, you need to rush down right now. Uh, she's in critical ward. And so I go down in Castro Valley or Hayward, actually, uh, the Bay Area. And so here she is at St. Rose Hospital. And she never regains consciousness. I walk in. She has all these tubes in. And it's, it's at those moments in time that you recognize if you really got a foundation or not. And so the doctor comes out. They've done everything they can. They go, I'm sorry. Uh, she, she's not uh, responding. And we're, we're, it's your call, but we're probably going to pull the plug. And it's that thing. I'm pacing around. And I just felt, I just cried out to the Lord in that moment. And, and it was, it's interesting. Let me just say this, first of all. There's a unique thunderbolt of loneliness that strikes your soul when you lose the, the mother that birthed you. When you lose your mom, that is, that is one of the most difficult things, and I still get these flashes. And what I thought about is that we preach victory, right? Right? 
I mean, what is the alternative? Like defeat? Of course we're going to preach victory. We believe that Jesus Christ got up out of the tomb. You could live a victorious life. But we also have to be honest that our, our, our humanity is this tedious balance between victory and vulnerability. And if you can't get real that there are vulnerable points and times and seasons and things that hit your life that you could preach victory and stand on the word and I'm going to do it and that's what's going to ultimately get me over. But also got to be real and authentic and say, hey, you find yourself vulnerable, particularly in certain seasons. I feel like many people are finding themselves vulnerable even in this season because now their mentality is what's next? What's next? I don't know if anybody else have gotten to that mentality. I have that. We alternate. Now, Isaiah 42 is, is interesting and I think it's very critical to what I feel like the Lord is saying. Isaiah 42, 22 through 23, and I wish I would have gotten it earlier to the people that are helping us in the, in the booth, but it says, Isaiah 42, chapter 42, verse 22, says, but this is a people robbed and plundered. Come on, somebody say, I saw that during COVID. <laughs> I literally saw that, right? All of them are snared in holes. Come on, that sounds like quarantine. They are hidden in prison houses. Come on, that sounds like people are scared. They are for prey and no one delivers. Pray, P-R-E-Y, for plunder. And then the, Isaiah the prophet says, and no one says restore. And who among you will give ear to this? Who will listen? Who will hear from the time to come? Now, notice this. What is God saying? God is saying whenever he comes to do something new, he first looks and births a cry of restore in the hearts of his people. So let me tell you something. The real crisis of our life is not a disease. The real crisis of our life is not what's going on in government, whether you're pro, whether you're not as much, the economy, the increased inflation, all that stuff. The real crisis is the gap between your visual, visible reality and what is biblically available. I hope I communicated that well. Let me say that again. The real crisis isn't what they're reporting to you on that nightly news show. The real crisis is what you see versus what God has available, but it biblically available for you. But in order to get from your visible reality to the biblical reality of what's available, God says, I got to get a cry of restoration. There's got to be somebody, because if you have a cry, you'll have the fight, right? I feel like the word of the Lord for 2022 is God says, this is going to be a season of restoration. God is going to restore to you some stuff you never thought you'd get back. Some folks are going to come back in their right mind. Some prodigals are going to come back to serving God. Your marriage is going to be put back together. Your business, your health, your walk, and the church in North America is going to be restored to a place I believe she hasn't ever been previously. I heard the Spirit of the Lord say something for you, church 1132. If you will cry restore, I'm ready to turn your devastation into restoration. If I can get somebody to cry. This is what he's saying. God is saying, I'm wanting to shift, but in order to shift, is there a cry to restore? Is there a cry to restore? You don't have a cry to restore if you're trying to get back to normal. Come on, somebody. You got to fight to pursue to recover. Now, let me define restoration. When I say restoration, Sean, what do you mean? I don't simply mean getting back what you lost. Because biblical, biblically, restoration isn't getting back what you lost. 
Restoration is getting back what God originally intended, which is more than what you just lost. It's what you just lost with some interest added to it. I believe the only reason why the enemy is able to attack, you ever think, why as a follower of Christ is the enemy from time to time able to get a lick in on us, right? I, I have a theory on that, but I think one of the reasons is it's God's way of the enemy gets in a lick on you. God makes sure you're healed from that hit. But in addition to that, he has a reason to bless you even beyond what the enemy initially took from you. And this is the mentality of what I feel like why you've gone through what you've gone through and why you can't quit. See, here, you ever wonder how you can throw a punch back on the devil? Anybody like me? Like I do a little MMA. I'm up for a new little uh, promotion. I'm excited about that, right? I never say this, but y'all are family. I'm a third degree black belt and I'm about to go for my second level master in Krav Maga. So I love that, right? And so, oh, come on, let's go. Oh, I was about to do a kick, but I want to do that and break my pants or something. <laughs> y'all are amazing. Y'all are amazing. But when I think of restore, what I think about is that I've got a car that when I get back on Tuesday, because Mark and I, we're going to another conference for tomorrow night where we're continuing a conference in Charlotte area. Uh, I've got to get this car. It's an older car. It's 2008. So that's not super old, but it's old enough. I've got to get it repaired. Old cars you repair, but classic cars you restore. Like this car has got to repair. It's janky, y'all. Okay. And this got to repair my janky hoopty, right? But I got a neighbor that's got an old classic he puts under wrap, cherry red. He's working on this thing. I think it's like a 65 Mustang. It's like, like, like lit, lit. He actually lives right around the corner from me. But when I turn into my little cul-de-sac, he lives on that corner. I've seen what his garage opened. It's nice. You restore a classic. You repair. Some people are just looking for their spiritual walk to be repaired. And God said, no, 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 no. I'm about to bring restoration to a classic faith handed down once and for all. I'm not in a repairing a janky faith. I'm not into repairing a janky walk, a janky city. Come on. I'm about to restore some classic. Somebody wants some classic vintage book of Acts, Holy Ghost, raise the dead, cast out devils. Come on. Jesus walking in our midst. Come on. That's what I'm fighting for. Oh, come on. Now let's look at this guy, David, for a second. David, the more I study this passage, the more I realize Maybe Job, Job might be the only guy that I look in the Bible that was righteous, that went through as much stuff in his shorter time. Maybe Joseph, but it was, it was still spread out over 13 years. But let's just review this thing. Now, many of you know David. David was the giant killer, right? He's anointed to be the next king after Saul. So here he is. He's anointed amongst his brothers. Man, uh, youngest son of Jesse, uh, the prophet Samuel breaks a flask of oil over David's head, inaugurate him, and letting everybody know this is going to be the next king. But David goes from being the king's son-in-law. By the way, he marries Michael, who is King Saul's daughter. He goes from being the king's son-in-law. He goes from being ahead of the division of the army. He goes from being the one that they were singing his praises by the tens of thousands, that he is a giant killer that killed Goliath, the man anointed to be king by the venerated prophet Samuel to the exact opposite. In a very short time, right? Very short time. He's separated from his dad. No mention of his mom, which is pretty telling in the Old Testament or whenever. The, no mention of mom. Mom probably passed. 
One of his last encounters with his brothers, his own brothers put him on blast and said, you're full of pride. So he's rejected by his family, right? This guy is being hunted by the current king that threw spears at him. You think you had some church hurt, hashtag church hurt movement. Hello, somebody. They ain't throwing spears at you at that former church you just left, right? They're throwing, throwing spears. He has an entire division of his army hunting the man down like, like, like he's hunting a deer. He has hired paid assassins. You got ISIS up in there trying to take you out, right? Here's David on the run. He has to leave his home, right? And now all of a sudden he finds out that the guy who's his mentor, who's his spiritual pops, right, uh, 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 the prophet Samuel dies. His wife dips. Peace out. Michael, she goes and runs with another dude she hooked up with on Tinder when she swiped. Come on, somebody. <laughs> he has lost all of that to where he goes and works and gets a job with the Philistines. Now, if y'all remember, he killed Goliath. Goliath represented Philistines are the enemy of your people. You go to work for them, but that's not all. They fire him. You know it's bad. I mean, you, when you switch sides for a minute and then you work for the wrong side, they fire you. And then here's part of what led up to the firing. I thought this was interesting. They, they said the phrase, what are the Hebrews doing here? In other words, what is David doing? Like, we're going to go fight and maybe in battle, he may flip his allegiance to prove that he is still loyal to Saul. He may end up fighting against us. He can't be here. They fired him. But I thought about the phrase for a second. What are the Hebrews doing here? I feel like there's been some, some lapse in judgment of believers where even the world is saying, what you doing at this bar drinking that drink? What are you doing here? What are you doing on that website? What are you doing visiting that app and doing that stuff? What are you doing running with that gang? Even the world is kind of putting us in check and going, what are you doing here? You're supposed to be a person of faith. You're supposed to say Jesus changed. What are you doing committing the same sins on a national level and having to step down from your mega church because you're doing the same thing of the people that you preach and say that there's freedom from that? And I'm not throwing stones, man. Seriously, my heart breaks whenever that happens. But at the same time, I think the world is saying, what are the Hebrews doing here? David is admittedly in a time where he's made bad decisions. He's stressed. He's not getting rest. And in the midst of that, he's making bad decisions. Like, you shouldn't be hooking up with the Philistines, right? And, And in addition to that, he now is fired from him. And so the only thing left for this dude to do, he had gotten a little piece of land from the Philistines called Ziglag. He's going to walk back to Ziglag and do the thing that at least my family would celebrate me, with the exception as he turns and he walks, I guess it would be south, towards Ziglag. He sees smoke coming up, but hello, somebody, it isn't a family barbecue. Come on, I've been to some family barbecues. Man, the Smith clan, they know how to barbecue, okay? But let me tell you something. No, they're... His entire homestead had been burned down by these marauders called the Amalekites. And so he goes back and like, now now check off everything that just happened, right? You're not king. You're not the lion uh, lion killer. Well, he did kill a lion. You're not celebrated as the lion killer. (laughs) Lion king. You're not celebrated. Simba, Simba, you've deliberately disobeyed me, Simba. No, no. Digression. The king is out to kill you. Your, your wives, your kids, everything you own is gone. And then the Bible says his men picked up stones to stone you. Hey, wait, man. Y'all came to me. Y'all was in debt, distress, discontent. 
come on, y'all was the makings of a Maury Povich three-part episode. I got y'all saved, and I pastored you. I walked you through that stuff. Come on, I, 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 I man, dedicated your baby. Man, I was there to visit you in the hospital, and now at this point in time, you're going to pick up a stone to stone me? Are you kidding me? Imagine the bottom falling out in that moment and what you would feel the green light and license to do in the area of compromise and thinking in that place. And this tells me something. Let, let me tell you, how do you strike a blow against the enemy? I, t I mentioned that earlier, but I didn't tell you. I, I would love to, if devil's in the flesh, but let me tell you the best way you can strike a blow against the enemy. You ready for this? Is to walk through what he expects you to get stuck in. The enemy doesn't think you'll get through this. But if you're able to walk through what the enemy intended you to get stuck in, you throw the best blow against the enemy. You need to let the devil know, you're not going to stop me. I'm still going after God. I'm not going to get bitter. I'm going to get better. Come on, somebody. I'm not going to sit back and be weeping. I'm going to stand up and be warring because Jesus is inside of me and he is the great victor. Come on. So here's David. Now think about that. David had lived with Goliath's people. He switched sides. Theologians say that during this period, David wrote no psalms. For 10 years, he had no song. He lost his song. In the midst of all of that, the men speak of stoning him. And then the Bible says this phrase, and I love it. Oh, I love this. The Bible says that David strengthened himself in the Lord. Oh, man, I don't even know you right now, David. Not just that he did it, it's when he did it. Come on, sometimes you can't wait for Pastor Dustin next Sunday to strengthen you in the Lord. Sometimes I'm going to have to strengthen myself on a Monday. I ain't going to make it till next Sunday. I got to know, hey, you may not be there to encourage me. I got to know how to encourage myself. Come on, somebody. I, I'm not going to leave it to someone else to get me on fire. I'm going to stir myself up to lay hold of God. Come on. You may not say hi to me. You may not encourage me. You may not have the word of the Lord, but I know a God that can get me back up on my feet. Come on. Sometimes you got to strengthen yourself in the Lord. The word in the Hebrew is child. It means to fasten a grip. We need some folks that will fasten a grip on God. Why? Because you're at your zigzag. Think about it. Let's modernize it. All right, I'm trying to hit all the generations, all right, the youngest generation. Imagine the Malachites came, right? They stole your Nintendo Switch and your new iPhone 13 with all the apps and the iPad you got for Christmas. Come on, somebody. All right, for the next generation, right? They stole your laptop, your hard drive, and burned down your favorite hipster coffee shop. Come on, somebody. All right, I'm trying to relate to everybody. All right, a little bit older, right? Men, come on. The Malachi's came, stole your 65-inch flat screen Samsung Roku with a new NFL package you got just in time for the playoff Super Bowl. Come on, ladies. Come on. They came through. They stole your Magnolia Farms table cookbook with actual Chip and Joanna Gaines illustrations that she signed because you went out of Magnolia Farm for it. Come on, to the older generation, they stole your 12-year season Bonanza DVD with P Papa Cartwright, Haas, Little Joe, and the brother. Nobody remembers his name. I love it how us older people can relate and y'all younger. What's a DVD? What's Bonanza? If you're from the hood like me, they stole your boo, your baby girl, and your little bubba. Come on. Did I leave anybody out? Did you, did you feel the loss? <laughs> they didn't just do a drive-by. They pulled up a U-Haul. 
But you know what zigzag means? Zigzag means, literally means to pressure or press someone into giving up something. The devil's intention, his strategy is in this past season, he pressed you to give up something. Now the question is, are you going to live having give that up or are you going to pursue it, get it back and then some because devil, you thought you could come at me like that. We need a Christian that says, oh, no, devil. Oh, no, devil. You come at me like that, I'll pray more. You come at my family, I'll fast more. You come at my finances, I'll tithe more. But devil, any way you come at me, I'm coming right back at you. We need a Christianity like that. We need a rise, pursue, for you shall surely recover all Christianity. Wouldn't it be great, though? Wait, wait, I didn't finish all the definition. Ziglag means to press someone into giving up something. The verb literally means it. It also means to smelt cop- copper, smelt. But it also means an outpouring of a fountain. So watch this. In your zigzag, how many of you have been to a zigzag? Like you're in a zigzag. When you're in zigzags, you wish your problems would take a number like the DMV and come one at a time very slowly. <laughs> but when you're in a zigzag, they don't take numbers. They come all, all at once. They come in bunches. You're in a zigzag, you feel a, a series of losses, and you're trying to find your center in God. You're trying to get back to where joy and having joy and walking in joy isn't such a constant fight and battle for you. The enemy wants to pressure you into giving up something, but the word also means an outpouring of a fountain. Watch this. The devil wants your zigzag where you, where you give up something. God wants your zigzag to be an outpouring of the Holy Ghost, and that's what 2022 is going to be for you. God wants to pour out his spirit on you. He wants to pour out his spirit on your dreams and on your heart, uh, your love that for your family and the different things that mean value to you. God wants to do it. And Ziglag is a place where many people give up, but they give up too soon. Now, let me hit this thing because I feel like this is so important. It says that they picked up stones, but it says David encouraged himself in the Lord. Then he said this next thing. I love this. He says he went to Abiathar, who was his priest, or you can imagine like his pastor, and he said, bring me the ephod. Oh, my God. Like, <laughs> help me preach this. An ephod was like a vest that the priest wore specifically when they would approach the Lord for direction. And what David is saying is I've heard from the pundits of CNN, MSNBC, May Yaven, Fox News. I heard all the talking heads on all the podcasts. I heard from CDC, and I'm not trying to knock Dr. Fauci and all that stuff. I heard all the reports. I've heard everything they've said. But how many of you know we need to hear a word from the Lord? I heard from what the, the rapster said. I heard from what the cool little indie band is singing about. I heard what she wrote and did in her little poem. But come on, somebody, I need to hear the word of the Lord. If there's ever been a time where you must hear God's voice for yourself. It is now. You cannot be left to what folks tell you what's trending on Twitter. I got to understand. You may get all them likes on Instagram but you may not. Let me, let me just say it this way. I refuse to be advised by anyone who isn't advised by the word of God. Right? I may look at your YouTube channel and find out how to unclog my drain but if I'm making life choices, I want someone who's advised by the word of God. Come on somebody. Anybody with me this morning? Mm. bring the ephod the enemy wants you to throw in the towel remember pressure into giving up so enemy wants you to throw in the towel but it's in these moments you got to reach for the ephod what's the ephod for you and when he encouraged himself the lord i believe this he didn't have a bible per se although he knew god talked to god i believe he prayed but watch this i believe what david did is he reminded himself of the promises part of your warfare in this season this this 
assignment, should you decide to take it, Ethan Hunt, come on somebody, is that you have got to be reminded of what are the promises that God has given you? What are the prophetic words over your life? What are the scriptures that has leaped off the page? What are the things that God has impressed upon your heart when you pray? you got to remind yourself that. There are moments, let me tell you what, I can't wait to be reminded by someone else. i got to remind myself. I've got to reach for an ephod. And then he did this thing, and then I love this. Oh, perfect. His men are getting ready to stone him. You would think most people would say, okay, okay, hey, hey, wait a second, guys. Remember all them times I was there for you guys? He didn't justify himself. He's seeking God. They're picking up stones. And he says, God, shall I pursue the enemy? And he comes out and he says, guys, we're going to go up there. Malachi said, ripped us off. And the dudes dropped their stones and said, let's go fight. Here's what my sneaky suspicion is. I think the church is inherently, inherently militant, meaning that God put it in you to fight for something. And we don't fight the real enemy. We end up fighting ourselves. We end up picking up stones. We've, I've seen churches fight and split over the color of carpet rather than a hard seat pew or soft seat where they sing their song, don't sing their song. Y'all got an awesome worship band. I see folks get the undies in a bunch because they song they get sung. Hey, hello, somebody. Get your iTunes playlist and put the song you want. But when we come here, let's trust the folks that have heard from God that are leading us corporately. Worship in about you. By definition, it's about him. It means prosecuting to kiss towards I'm not kissing myself come on somebody I'm not the rock I'm kissing the rock Jesus Christ that's what this thing's about all these guys drop and they don't really know where they're going they just know that okay it's in the south they, they, the invaders came from the south so they've got to go probably south they probably saw some footprints but anybody's been in the middle east I've, I've been there that these storms can come they could just wipe away the footprints he, he don't have his ways app y'all come on somebody be a couple millenniums three millenniums before they invent that he's out there he doesn't know and the first thing he does he comes to a brook called basor right b-e-s-o-r and the bible says he has 600 men one third of the men stop at the river it's interesting barna did a study and found out one third of the church never made it back after covid Interesting. I understand there's some people that have some genuine health risks and concerns or whatever, but then there's a whole nother group. Hello, somebody. You, I, I see you at Walmart. I see you at Target. I see you at Home Depot. Hey, if you can make it in them places, how come you can't make it to church? I like, I, I, I like my chances of being healed in this aisle than aisle 12 at Home Depot. Come on, somebody. I like the fact of getting with some folks that believe that Jesus is the way maker. Let me get with a group of folks in fellowship with that kind of mentality. Come on, somebody. There's somebody fighting for a blue light special at Walmart. I'm just saying. Come on, tell somebody. Say, he's just saying. He's just saying. He comes to the brook. And David doesn't write them off. I mean, people that have not made it online, they're part of it. I've seen many people, online churches growing. It's awesome. David didn't write them off. You're still part. But I just say this. They will experience some of the blessings, but they were never able to visually have the testimony of what it was like, what I'm going to tell you in a moment, when the Amalekites are defeated. They never got to see it. I believe that their churches, now let's not think of one church, I believe their churches that won't go to fight, but they'll still experience a measure of revival because churches like Church 1132 are going to come and bring it back. And I believe all ships rise when the water level rises. David said, okay, cool, y'all stay here. Now, now, hear my heart on this. I'm not saying they're dead weight. No, not at all. But now I'm trying to draw a metaphor. Some things you can't drag across the ravine. 
Some things you can't pull into 2022. You need to leave that back at the ravine. He left baggable, Bible says baggage, not just people. He left baggage. Some of all, there's some baggage that doesn't need to follow you into this year. You carry that long enough. You need to determine right here, right now, I'm getting free. I'm getting delivered. I'm not going to drag this drama across this ravine. I'm going to leave this thing here. I will be able to fight. Come on, somebody, a whole lot better, not caring. I'm going to leave this baggage here. Y'all stay here. Come on. Some of y'all, you made a decision to go after God, and even know your friends, mama and them, auntie and everybody else, they're not going. Sometimes I'm going to leave you at the river, but I still got to go on with God. I still got to go after God. That old boyfriend, that old girlfriend, I ain't, ain't going to hang out at the river with you. I'm going all the way with God. Come on. Oh, I'm going to amen myself on that. Preach it, brother. Come on. The Bible says David encouraged himself in the Lord. I'm just trying to be biblical. And then here's where I begin to close. One of my favorite parts of this entire passage it says, as they were going, again, they don't know precisely where the Amalekites are at. The Bible says, and they found an Egyptian. Oh, my God. Okay, Lord, help me. Holy Spirit, help me preach this. Help me preach this. Okay, here we go. Here we go. I'm going to give you my best shot. This Egyptian was once a servant of the terrorists that ripped David off and burned down and torched and stole everything we talked about at Ziglag. He was once a servant of theirs. All of a sudden, the dude got a runny nose. Come on, he started coughing a little bit, talking about he lost his sense of smell. Like, bro, you got COVID. We see you later. And they, they just left him. They just left him there. Bible says he was sick. They left him. I don't think they want, they didn't want to kill him, but they didn't, they left him there to die. David sees an Egyptian. Watch this. God kept an Egyptian alive for this very reason. David doesn't know anything he could get from the Egyptian. It doesn't matter. He says, man, let's get this dude some water. Let's get this dude some food. He fed and watered the Egyptian. I just, I'm a visual. I can just see, right? The Egyptian, he's kind of unconscious. He's kind of regaining conscious. And he kind of gets away. They went that away. The Bible says the Egyptian gave them the exact Waze app location. Come on, Google Maps. And I believe that God is going to allow you to find an Egyptian to get you to get to the point where you get everything back and then more some but notice the Egyptian didn't come to Ziglag he had to begin to pursue and as he began to pursue God put an Egyptian in the path now let me change a whole different metaphor I believe that through Dream Center because I would have although I didn't get saved in a Dream Center I would have totally been a family that could have benefited from a Dream Center I believe that as we feed and we give water and we help the Egyptians it's going to help in the revival and the harvest that God has for us in the city what we do for them will open up and cause Amalekites to fall all over the place land to be took Fast forward, I got to make it really quick. David comes up on all the Amalekites with 400 men outnumbered. They got, some scholars say, tens of thousands of train. And David only has 400 people. But how many of you know, if you got, you, you say, well, we lost some people during COVID. Come on. Well, if you got 400 and really got God on them, they might be able to do more stuff than all of the other numbers, but they weren't really with God. Now, again, I'm not trying to imply, please hear what I'm saying versus what I'm not saying. Amen, amen. All right. They see the Amalekites, they defeat the Amalekites, and the Bible says, that David not only got back what was stolen, he returns with David's spoil. Here is, here is the title of the talk. Revival is our revenge. Revival, everything you've been through, 
everything you fought through, every stone that was thrown at you, all the attacks, all the dramas, all the, the inner wars you fought in your head, all the times the enemy tried to make you quit, he hit you physically, hit you financially, got people to speak against you, all of that. Let me tell you what, I'm not just going to try to live a nice Christian walk. That's not my payback. Survival is a payback. Revival is my revenge. I'm like, hey, you do that to the North American church. I'm going to tell you something, devil. We're going to win thousands of people to the Lord. We're going to see hundreds of folks healed. We're going to see mass deliverance. We're going to see a generation raised up in a fear and admonition of the Lord because revival is our revenge. Come on, I need somebody that really believes this. I need somebody that say, I'm not coming to church to look cute. I'm not trying to take a selfie. I'm trying to take hostages. I'm trying to win death. people to the Lord and cast out devils. Oh my God. David spoiled, what was it, Sean? He got back everything that was stolen, got back his wives, got back his kids, got back their Nintendo Switch, come on, his 65-inch Samsung Roku, come on, come on, got it all back, right? Got his coffee shop back, right? But not only that, he got everything they had taken from a whole bunch of other people that there was no way of finding out where it goes. So here's what I'm saying to you, Church 1132, you got David spoil on you. Your last season, as you're emerging from a zigzag, is now a season where you're going to get not only what was taken from you, you're going to get interest upon interest. You're going to take out the Amalekites, have a fresh testimony. And David brought that back to such abundance that even the people that stayed online, no, I'm just kidding, even the people that stayed at the ravine, they still were able to share alike as those. And this is what I'm saying. Revival is going to hit a mass number of churches, and maybe not every church is going to be the go after the Amalekite church like Church 1132, but we need you for the churches that remain at the ravine. We need you as a believer to fight Amalekites. You got to have a, a rising spirit to go and fight. If you lost your fight, you've lost the fight. You got to get this thing back in you that says, no, devil, we're going to fight. We're going to fight today. And if Jesus is in the battle, we know how this thing is going to come out. This is second service. Got to tell you one more story. My grandma got the most amazing, she's meant to be with the Lord. She made the most amazing meatloaf sandwich. The meatloaf sandwich would have you on Jacob's ladder ascending, ascending, and having dreams and visions of God. And if you're looking at it and you're turning your nose up, it's only because you ain't ate my grandma's meatloaf. Most people, meatloaf is dry seven minutes out of the oven. My grandma's meatloaf was moist seven days out the oven. She didn't just put like ground beef and put Heinz on it. That's a hamburger. My grandma mixed up the meat. She made from scratch this red stuff. I couldn't afford hot lunch growing up. I told you I grew up in the hood. I'd have been a dream setter kid for sure. I'd have been on a bus coming to church 1132. God saved a whole lot earlier. She gave me this sandwich and I want to make this quick. I would eat a half a bite kind of we had them desks that you could lift up, which I, I loved that as a kid because that was like immunity. Like I lift that desk up, teacher can see me. I'm eating, I'm doing stuff I shouldn't be doing. Close it down, I act like everything's good. I'm just reaching for my eraser, right? So I would lift up the desk, take a bite of my sandwich because I couldn't even wait till lunch. Then we had a recess before lunch. I would take another bite and then I would eat the rest of my half sandwich. But we had a bully in our school named Eric. Eric was huge. I was like five, six. I was like 90 pounds. This dude's close to six feet, like twice my weight easily, right? He had whiskers. Like I still can't shave from here to here. I, don't, I just don't grow here, whatever it is, right? This dude had to use 
man anti-deodorant because he stunk like a dude right we were a little six year we just smelled like the sandbox right this dude smelled like a grown man on a construction working on the roof right he would dump us chump us he was a bully so I walked just outside the door because all I had to do was get out the threshold of the door. He just couldn't eat in the classroom. Took a bite and I'm just enjoying it. He saw me, grabs my grandmother's sandwich, me loves that, takes a big old bite, throws it on the ground and stomps that right in front of my eyes. And somebody's right, oh no. In dramatic literature, this is called foreshadowing. <laughs> no. My lip starts quivering. This is me crying. You have, anybody have any little kids when you're fighting to cry? I'm like, I'm victim right here. And then my left eye start to twitch. And it's like, I'm about to go 5150 on you. If you know what that means? I'm, I'm crazy. And I'm about to knock you out for that, bro. You pick with the. And seriously, I'm, I just do twice my side. I leap in the air. This is like, like Shang-Chi, Legend of the Ten Rings, right? I'm beating this brother. Elbows flying everywhere. Our, this is how ghetto our school was. Our teacher was also our principal, right? So my teacher principal comes out and he goes, Sean, what are you doing? Because I was never an aggressive kid like that. He's pulling me up. I'm the skinny little kid, picks me up one arm, but I'm beating down this African-American Samoan bully named Eric. I'm this skinny little kid with a big old afro. I look like a chocolate Q-tip, but I'm beating this dude down. Teacher said, principal said, what are you doing? I go, hey, threw down my grandmother's meatloaf sandwich. Guess what? Eric became my best friend after that. Never mess with me again. Here's my point. Some of you need to train the devil you're too expensive to mess with. If every time he snatches from you, all you do is this, but you never get to this, you train the devil. He can keep snatching from you. But some of y'all need to get a little spiritual twitch in that left eye. I'm about to go 5150. I'm about to fast 21 days. I'm about to get a devotional life. I'm about to pray. I'm about to walk right before the Lord. I'm about to get my praise and worship on. And all of a sudden, 